Well, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We are, um, over the last couple of years, we've been sporadically working our way through uh, Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we're returning to that series uh, today uh, in chapter 20. And I hope, you never know how these things are going to work out, but I, I hope this will be our last bite of this large fruit called Matthew's Gospel. Uh, as we take it through to the end over the next few weeks. But uh, we're going to look at um, chapter 20 and uh, verses 1 to 16. Um, it's only found in Matthew's Gospel, um, but it's, I think, a well-known passage. But let me, let me read it, and, uh, and then we'll pray, and then we'll press on. And Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven... Is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, denarius a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the graveyard, uh, <laughs> graveyard the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to your words, we pray once again that your spirits would come and work this message into our own souls. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a a very strange parable. Um, It's unusual. It it finishes in a strange way. And uh, Jesus often teaches in parables. And what are parables? Well, parables are, are very concrete stories... Uh, in well set and well recognized settings, and in that sense they're they're accessible to hearers, so people understand what in one sense what Jesus is talking about, 
And yet the teaching of the parable is not about those con- concrete settings. It's actually about, it's, it's designed to highlight something about the kingdom of God. So he uses a, a concrete setting to highlight something about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which seems to be an interchangeable term. And it's clear from the way the parable starts. Um, it's, it begins with a statement. The kingdom of heaven is like... Dot, dot, dot. It begins saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And it elucidates something about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's a kind of illustration. The parable. But it's a strange parable. It's a strange story with a strange ending. One that could be deliberately designed to shock, to to raise eyebrows at least, and think, what on earth is Jesus talking about here? And it ends differently than we expect. And we could react in a couple of ways to it. Uh, The natural one, I think, uh, just thinking about the concrete story itself, is to say, well, that's not fair. How is it fair that a person who only works one hour gets a denarius, a day's wages, and a person who works all day in the heat of the sun gets the same? Twelve hours maybe, but gets paid the same. How is that fair? That's, that would be the reaction if you were thinking only about the concrete story. Is Jesus talking about economics and running a business and stuff like that? We'll come to that in a moment. But Or could we say... Or we could say, how is the kingdom of heaven different from the story that he's just told? Isn't our shock at the strangeness designed to make us think, how is the kingdom of heaven different from the way things operate in the world? Well, let's just think about the story. What's the text for a moment? What's... What's in this story? Well, it starts with a master who has, who has a household and has a vineyard. And we can surmise that the grapes need harvested. And uh, as was common at the time, this was achieved by hiring casual labour. They would go into the marketplace, uh, a landowner, go to the marketplace, find out who's hanging around, and uh, hire them. Say, come and work for me to, for today, and, uh, and we'll give you some money at the end of the day. Uh, you might think that's an old-fashioned thing, and, and maybe it is. But I do remember a, a, a missionary to Kenya. He's not a missionary to Kenya anymore. He's a missionary somewhere else. But I remember him telling me he was uh, discipling a man, uh, a Kenyan man, who was, uh, uh, spent a, lot, a large chunk of the day with him. But it came a point in the afternoon where he said, I have to go now. And my friend David said, well, why do you have to go? He says, well, I have to get a job. To earn some food for my dinner tonight. You know, so he was lived, lived in that world of hired labour. He would go and find casual work to be able to feed himself and his family. So it's more common perhaps than you think. So this man goes down and he hires a bunch of guys to, to come and work for the day. And he offers this denarius, which is a standard rate of pay. But then he does the same thing at the third hour, which is about nine o'clock in the morning. So 
You know, the hours go from roughly 6 in the morning to 6 in the evening, because that's when the sun comes up and the sun goes down. So around about 9 o'clock, the third hour, he goes down again. He needs more workers, so he goes and finds some more. Some of the late birds, the, the ones have slept in perhaps. And uh, he goes and gathers some more, and he brings them. And he, he doesn't tell them, it doesn't tell us at least, what they're going to get paid. He says, go into my vineyard and I'll pay you what's right. And then he goes again at the sixth hour, so 12 o'clock, at noon. Another bunch of men. And then he goes at uh, the ninth hour. Some more men. And then finally he goes at the eleventh hour, around about five o'clock in the evening. And he finds some more men. He says, what are you doing standing around idle all day? Go, Go down to my vineyard and you'll find some work. At least for an hour. And so that's the story. Five groups of men who have come to work in the vineyard. And the time comes for the, the master to pay the men for the work that they've done. And they've all been working different lengths of time. And he says to the steward, his foreman, uh, line them up in the order, the reverse order in which they came. So those who came last, put them first. And pay them first. And when they get paid, they get paid a denarius. And just imagine that. You're standing at the end of the line. You've been there all day. And you see the, the, hour, the, the guys who work for an hour. And they've, only got a, they've got a denarius as well. And you think, well, we, we must be getting 12 or something. You know, that would be normal. But as he goes down the line, they all get the same. They all get a denarius. And you can imagine the disgruntlement emerges in those men that have worked longer. So verse 12. These last worked only... They say, these men say, These last have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So they complain. But the answer that the, the, the master gives is the central issue. Verse 13. Friends, Am I doing you no? I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? They agreed it. So he's not only doing what they agreed. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give you this last gift to this last worker as I gave to you. I am not allowed. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge me my generosity? So, so this is a parable that's kicked off all kinds of, of debates. You know, if you're, if you're kind of left-leaning politically, you might say, aren't they right to grumble? <laughs> and they got a point. And, but that's what makes the par- parable strange, isn't it? Uh, you could never actually run a business like this. You could never... Uh, you know, you'd have so much disgruntlement that you could never actually employ anybody. Nobody would work for you if you actually ran a business like this. Uh, so fairness actually matters in dealing with workers. If you are right-leaning, <laughs> maybe some of you are. Solly hell after all. Um, <laughs> dangerous thing to say. Um, but if you're kind of right-leaning... 
Isn't the master allowed to do what he likes with his money? It's my money. I can do what I like with it. What business does have anyone else's to say what I do with my money? Well, of course you can do that. Of course, anybody can do what they like with their money. But it may not be very wise to treat people like that way. So, all that's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, it kind of raises issues for us about economics and business, how to run a business and society and so on. But it's not what this parable's about. None of that is about what this parable's about. This is a parable about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of grace and grace alone. That the thing that matters in the kingdom of heaven is that God is wonderfully gracious to all who come to him. And that God gives out of his generosity. And he does not distinguish between people. So with that in view, let's, let me draw out three things from this parable. First of all, things that we could learn about God and his kingdom. And the key thing is, in verse 15, uh, God, you know, God the, father, the master figure says, Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? You see, this, this verse teaches us the, about God, and it teaches us about who he is and what, what his position is relative to us. That he alone is the sovereign God. He alone is king of the kingdom. And that as king of the kingdom, he has absolute right to do as he wishes in his kingdom. All in accordance with his wonderful character. This is such an important point for us that many Christians have to learn over years. We don't pick this up automatically. We might pick up bits of it, but we spend all our lives learning who God is. That he truly is sovereign. You see, only God has rights, has absolute rights. We live in a society where people are obsessed with their personal rights and this and that. And people are always fighting for their rights. And there's a place for all of that kind of thing. But none of it is absolute. Like God has rights. Because he's God. He is not just a bloke like us. And we kind of negotiate our rights between us. God is God. We are his creatures. Made in his image. Made for him. Only God has absolute rights. And so God can do as he wishes. With his kingdom. And he can. Out of his largesse. Out of the. The abundance of his riches. He can give. As he pleases. This is our God. And that means that when, when we come to God, we can, we can never turn to God and say, God, I, I deserve your grace. You, you should give me your grace. It's kind of bizarre when you think about it, but that's, uh, that's often how our hearts work, isn't it? I deserve something more from you. 
And if you think about God's grace, if you actually get a grasp of and understand the depths and the riches of it, then you'll never come to the view that you deserve it. Because it wouldn't be grace then. If you deserve it, then it's no longer grace. Because you're putting an obligation on God. I deserve it. Give it to me. But God is beholden to no man. God is purely, truly sovereign in his giving of his grace. He alone has absolute rights. And God's grace comes to people who least deserve it. Um, you know the verse. When you think about the provision that God has made for us in his son Jesus Christ. That famous verse, Romans 5 verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were still sinners. We were his enemies. We were rebels shaking our little fists at him. If we thought he existed. Otherwise ignoring him. We were sinners and yet God in his grace comes and sends his son. And gives his son. He's not beholden to anyone. And that overwhelming grace comes to sinners like you and me. Now that's how we sh- that should change how we think about God. When we get a sense of the, the scale of God, if that's the right term to use. The majesty of God, the glory of God. Then we would never say we deserve God's grace. We would just bless God that we've received it. We would learn over the years never to turn to God and say, I deserve better than this. Some of you are going through difficult times in your lives. You're struggling with things. And the temptation that you will face is to to wave your fist at God and say, I deserve better than this. When are you going to get me out of this situation? What do you think you're doing? But as we grow in understanding of God and the sheer majesty of His grace, we learn never to say a thing like that. We know God has the right, you see, to do as he wishes. So we learn about God and his kingdom. Secondly, we learn how we get into the kingdom. How we get into the kingdom. Now, of course, if you are thinking only about the economic activity that's described in this parable, uh, then, of course, you're going to think that the master is unfair in paying them all the same for different amounts of work. But in the economics of the kingdom of heaven, if I can put it like that, it doesn't matter when you came into the kingdom. Everyone gets the same eternal life. In other words, the same riches of God's grace are lavished on every believer, every citizen of the kingdom. Everybody gets the same. And the Bible furnishes us with extreme Examples of this. Who were who the first disciples to follow Jesus? I wonder if any of the children know. Who were the first disciples to follow Jesus? Can you remember? It begins with a P and an A. <laughs> Peter and Andrew. I'm a big kid over here. <laughs> Peter and Andrew, they were the first to be called. You can go back to Matthew chapter 4 and you'll see Peter and Andrew were the first to be called. 
and they served Jesus the longest. Uh, they were, they endured the most. They learned more than most. They served more than most throughout Jesus' ministry. Who's the last person in the gospel to believe Jesus and enter paradise? That's a little clue. <laughs> Who was it? Can you remember, uh, children? Do you remember when... Oh, David. Paul. Uh, no, not Paul. Well, Paul did come after, but who was the last person when Jesus was still living? I'll tell you. Remember when Jesus was crucified? He wasn't crucified alone, was he? He had two thieves crucified with him. And one of them gave Jesus a hard time. Saying, you know, save us, save us. He was demanding from Jesus that he be saved. And the other man says, he said in faith, he said, remember me in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Within three hours or thereabouts. That man would be dead. But he'd be in paradise. Entered into the kingdom of heaven. With only three hours of believing. What an amazing thing. And all because Jesus said to him. I'll see you in paradise. I'll see you in paradise. That's the key thing. It's when Jesus says. That's when you're saved. (laughs) When God's grace comes through Jesus. That's when you're saved. Not when you demand it of Him. Not when you try and put obligations on God. When God comes in grace. Just come and join me. Do you see the wonderful grace of God here? It's not about my works. It's not about how much I've served Jesus Christ. It's not, none of that matters about whether or not I get eternal life. No amount of work for God can merit His grace. You see, the, gift, the, the, the truth is the gift that God gives is of such infinite value that no amount of work could ever earn it. That's the fallacy that people fall into. If I just do enough works, then somehow God will bless me. And God will give me that eternal life. But it's too valuable for you to be able to work for it. You know, when I go and buy something from somebody, um, I have an idea of, you know, if I go into a shop or go to a store or something, I have an idea of what the thing's going to cost me and whether it's a good price or not. Mostly. Sometimes I have no idea. But you, you can weigh it up, can't you? You can weigh it up. Is that price too high? Is it, or is it a great deal? Or what is it? You weigh it up, don't you? But in the kingdom of God, no such calculation can be made. Because eternal life is so valuable, so rich, so magnificent, that no one in this whole wide world has enough of anything to be able to buy it and to merit it for themselves. The value of what you receive, eternal life, is a priceless treasure that has to be given by God and simply received by you and me by faith. And that's it. By faith. Nothing else. (laughs) 
That's it. That's the story of this parable. That what you receive is totally disconnected from what you've done. And you should thank God for that if you're a Christian today. Thank God that you are saved in spite of what you are and what you once were. There's nothing you have done in the past that has earned your place in heaven. Nothing that you can do, you can do that can disqualify you from heaven if God has come in His grace to you. The gospel, you see, is the free grace of God to sinners who need it and receive it. And finally, third point. The parable teaches us how we can think wrongly about other people. You may have noticed a couple of textual features. <laughs> features of the text. Um, sometimes you need to be attuned to these things, but... Um, part of my training, but you look out for these things. And one of, the, one of the features is that it ends with verse 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. And that's almost identical to how chapter 19 finished. Uh, as many as who are first will be last, and the last first. So he flips it around, but it's basically the same. And And it's as though Jesus is teaching the same thing in this parable as he was teaching at the end of chapter 19. Now, what what was he teaching in chapter 19? Let me recap for you. You may have forgotten. Jesus was teaching how difficult it was for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven. Remember the rich young ruler? He went away sad because he had many possessions. And Jesus teaches how difficult it is for rich people to get into heaven. And the implications were clear for the disciples. If you look at 19.25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? I mean, the implication is that nobody can be saved if that's true. What a, what a strange thing. And, but then a word of encouragement comes from Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Here's the sovereign grace of God again. All, with God, all things are possible. So what happens then? Well, Peter pipes up. And he says in verse 27, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What's he saying? He's saying, I've done lots for you, Jesus. So what am I going to get from you? Because I've done all this. And I've given up all this. Well, surely he's thinking... Because I've given up so much that I was the first of the disciples and I've, I've given up my livelihood. I've followed Jesus. Surely I'm going to get more. And he's thinking there's a pecking order in the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's me, Peter, and my disciple friends, the twelve up there. And then there's everybody else down below and they get a bit less. The parable, therefore, is given to upend that kind of thinking. Because you notice at the beginning of chapter 20, it begins with a a small word, for. In other words, what follows is an explanation of what has gone before. If you you translated it, because, then you, you see how it's explained. The parable explains what he's just been teaching Peter. 
in chapter 19. And the parable, therefore, upends our thinking about the kingdom of God and who gets what. And that thinking, I think, is more common in church life than, uh, than one might think. It comes out in ways that often affect relationships in church in this life. Um, uh, people can start saying to themselves, I've been around a long time in this church. You know, I've, I've served for a long time in this church. I've done a lot in this church. I've contributed a lot of money to this church. I deserve to be treated better than anyone else. Um, my voice should be listened to. I've, after all, I've been around for a long time. My voice should be listened to. It's one of the difficulties that church plants often face. We've done a lot of church planting in our denomination. But church plants often face this kind of issue. That in the beginning you have this core group of people who are in the centre of things. And they're doing everything and they're all working hard. and They're just involved and they feel at the centre of things. But gradually, if God blesses, the church grows and grows and grows. And then more people start coming in. And these people are gifted and godly. And, and they start taking on roles and responsibilities within the church and the people who were there originally start moving to the outward, <laughs> to the outward edges and are not quite so involved as they once were and they start getting grumpy about it. You know, it happens. And before you know it, the rocks are coming. <laughs> and there's complaining going on. Now, we've been very blessed in this church. We've not had many, if any, I can't remember any rocks coming at me. Um, but... You know, that's what happens. You know, and what happens then is people start leaving. You know, they go, they say, well, I'm, this church doesn't respect me. It doesn't, doesn't treat me well. It doesn't, uh, you know, I deserve more than this. So I'm going to go to another church. But what they don't realize is all the problems are actually within their own hearts and their own souls. And actually they're going to take all those, that festering heart and soul that's thinking that way and taking it to the, the next church. And they'll have the same problems there. Unless God come, you know, comes and helps them. So it can come in church life. You know, when you find that older, longer standing people grumble a bit. Because they've contributed so much. Other parables kind of highlight this feature. Um, we're nearly finished. But other parables highlight this feature. Uh, you may remember the parable of the prodigal son. In Luke 15, so it's unique to Luke. Uh, but the prodigal son, remember the father with two sons and the younger son uh, wants his inheritance right now. I wish you were dead so I can have my inheritance. And he goes and takes his, his share of the inheritance and goes and spends it in a life of indulgence and self-indulgence. And in, in the end, he ends up poor, feeding off the, pig, you know, the food for the pigs. And then he thinks, well, I can come back as a servant. I've, I've got to do something. I, I can come back as a servant. And when he comes back, what does the father do? He's looking out for him. And when he sees his son coming, he runs to him. You know, fathers didn't run in the first century. Sons ran to the fathers. But the father runs to the son. And he kisses him. Welcomes him back into the household. Says to his servants, kill the fatted calf. Let's celebrate. My son has come home. Glorious. Wonderful story. What about the other son? The older son, Mr. Grumpy. You didn't kill a fatted calf for me, did you, Dad? And so he's pretty grumpy. And the father says, but you have everything. (laughs) You've always had everything. 
And this is what happens. This is the picture that can happen in the kingdom of God. That the older people can get grumpy about the younger people. And the grace that God has shown to the new people. God help us that we never fall into that. But it's a, it's a glorious story. That kind of grumbling, complaining, disgruntled spirit comes from a failure to understand the sheer grace of God in the kingdom. But an appreciation of that grace turns everything upside down for us, including our hearts. So whereas once you might feel jealousy at someone else's experience of blessing, instead you're able to give thanks to God when somebody else gets blessed by God. I remember, so I'm going to anecdote now, but we're nearly finished. I was converted as a student in Glasgow and in the hall of residence which had about a couple of hundred people in it um, there were something like 10 or 12 conversions that year to Christianity one of them was a school friend of mine and he was a guy who, who was never at the centre of things at school He's, you, know, you know at school there's always the, the cool kids that are at the centre of things and everybody wants to be friends with them and then there's the, the outcasts who are always hanging around at the edges and he was one of those guys didn't really have many friends and then he became a Christian wonderfully saved but then I remember having a conversation with him about all these other people that had become Christians at the time and he he admitted to me how difficult he found it he actually felt jealous because these other people had been saved as well I've been saved, he says, and I now have something special, but now these people who have everything, they're also saved. And he felt jealous about it. He wrestled with it. Friends, we can all wrestle with these things. But if we appreciate the grace of God, and as we grow in our appreciation of it, he will help us to glorify him and to honour him. And we will learn the habits of rejoicing when other people are blessed in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful parable. What an amazing story that it tells. Not simply about the economics, but about the kingdom of heaven. About your marvellous grace towards us. We pray that everybody in this room would experience that grace and have that sense of the greatness of God and the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give their lives to him. For his namesake we pray. Amen.